about that ben's gonna have his good news of the week ryan's calling your shot and as always closing with a devotional thought in fix your eyes so let's get into it let's uh let's turn it over to ben to share a little bit about himself and his family sounds good so yeah i'm ben lived in southern minnesota uh, born and raised still live in southern minnesota so i while some may have moved across the country i've kind of stayed put uh, but love it here and i've uh, been in enjoyed sports and recreation my whole life i've worked in that as an as an adult i've been married for 16 years uh, two boys in elementary school enjoy going to their activities and the sports they participate in. And uh, maybe one item that perhaps some of you guys didn't have a great inclination of uh, while we were in college, but I've my wife has helped expand my horizons and I've grown to really appreciate musical theater and uh, even Broadway shows, that sort of thing. We've really enjoyed Nerd. watching. Yeah. <laughs> I was waiting I for Don to chime in. It's coming. <laughs> Enjoyed watching. Uh... <laughs> oh. so, so, so what's your what's your take on Hamilton? Are you a Hamilton fan? I love it. We've probably watched it four or five times. Really, really enjoy Hamilton, actually. So yeah, that's pretty me. unique. My daughters too. Yeah. That's fantastic! Great, uh, great stuff, Ben. Thanks for the uh, thanks for the insight into into musical theater. That's fantastic. Hey, we've all changed a little bit over twenty years since we've been out of college. So you know, we're not exactly the same people we were twenty years ago. So, so Betty, so Betty, what's your what's your go to go to musical production? Number one on my list is Les Mis. Les Mis. That's that is good. You haven't seen it. Jeremy, you've never seen that. Oh, let's yeah. be honest. You have not. Well, I went to the movie with my sister and her husband, and I thought I was going to be just sitting through a bunch of nastiness, and it was great. I really enjoyed it. The movie? The yeah. Russell Crowe with Russell Crowe as John Is that Bader? it? Yeah. <laughs> oh, come on. <laughs> that's as close as I get. It was great. That's, that's like watching, that's like comparing Ryan pitching to watching Nolan Ryan in his prime. Right. <laughs> I'm just yeah. saying, I got a little. I'm just saying, it's a pale shadow. <laughs> Throw the slider. <laughs> All right. Well, let's get into a topic number one: uh, schools. Uh, we all have we all have children, um, and it's coming up to that time where we go back to schools, and a lot, huge debate on whether to reopen, not to reopen, to do um, distance learning. 
And we've got obviously some guys that are real into it. So I'd really like to hear uh, from Jeremy first and foremost. He's probably our our, our foremost uh, person who's in the educational field. But then Ryan, you've had a lot of experience too in the schools um, as well. So uh, Jeremy, give us some of your thoughts as you're head over a school. Yeah, uh, yeah this, this is a weighty topic and it, it, it's an intense topic right now because everybody is deciding what, what their plan is. And I really honestly believe that it really depends on where you are in the country and what your community looks like. And some of those things, even within communities, there's discrepancies or differences between what type of schools uh, are going to have in-person learning as opposed to this hybrid model. And then of the hybrid models, uh, there are there are just bunches of, of different models that are out there. On top of that, then you've got you've got the the uh, side of, of what does staff want to do? Do they want to return? Do they not want to return? And, and some of the concerns there. You've got parents who are concerned uh, and, and they're on two sides of the fence. When in our community, when we put out some surveys or when surveys have, have gone out, it's really interesting that 60%, now this is a small town, you know, a small town, Wisconsin, 60% um, have said, go back to school full, full, uh, just like you would in a normal fall, just like you would in a normal school year, uh, with caution within some of the parameters that need to be taking place. 30% say, no, uh, we're going virtual. 10% say, undecided either way, would go either way. Uh, I, I do not think that there is a one size fits all for the schools that are in the United States of America and in our communities. And I think it's going to be a choice by choice basis of what happens. And there also has to be consideration of what the school's capable of. If you're not capable of great online teaching, virtual teaching, should, you shouldn't jump into that and pretend if you are, you know, able to, because of school size or other things, able to, you know, keep a school going, uh, live learning, um, students attending uh, with a few changes as far as, you know, spacing and, and uh, cleanliness and that kind of thing. Uh, you know, as Matt, you, you know, with the, the safety involved with that and you can do it with a safe, safe measures in place. I think, I think you go with it. I was just reading some articles on the the best uh, schools in the world, and you know Finland always comes up. It seems like is the number one. So I, I I did some reading this this week about that, and uh, they they have they have multiple opinions as well, and they all go back to it depends on the community, it depends on the school size, it depends on who's involved with it. So if you're going to ask me what are you going to do in the fall, uh, we are going to open as normal under the blessings of our local health uh, uh, department and uh, the authorities that, that are in place here, as well as some other schools in the area. Um, and we're going to do that as, as best we can and most efficiently as we can. Um, and we can, we can do that without, without um, dis, having distance problems and, and spacing problems, all those things that are happening inside our building. We can handle that. Uh, those who are not are going to go to a hybrid model. And so they're, they're going to go send their kids to live teaching two days a week and then virtual three days a week. And the other thing that juggles into this is what the high school athletic associations are doing, because that also throws a monkey wrench into um, things. And, and Ben, I know you probably, you know, dealing with some of that and see that, you know, just on the, the city you know, spectrum. 
But that also throws a whole big, you know, challenge to what do you do? Because now all these teams are playing and they're in constant contact with each other, even though they might, you know, stand six feet apart on a, on a football sideline doesn't mean that the tackling is six feet apart. Uh, so I really, it's a real struggle. Here's what I'm, here's what I, I really am trying to do for our school. I am trying to lead in a way that's clear with the things that, that we put forward, simple and attainable. And if we can do those things and we can show uh, clarity but also say at the same time when we need to and if we have to change course, we will. So proceed with caution is where we're at right now. I'm interested to hear you know, what others are, are thinking here. Ryan, I know that you may weigh in on this as well. Yeah, I'd love to hear your perspective, Ryan, with your uh, desire to keep you know, COVID out of your house, which you've told us, and obviously you being a very, you know, very much like a germaphobe, very clean person. And with your experience as a teacher in the past, if you were teaching in a school, what would be your confidence level, comfort level? I think Jeremy, Jeremy used the right word when he said choice. I think we're at a place within our society where we do have choices. There are, there are options. I think schools have had time, especially with this last spring being shut down around the middle of March. And I, I think every school basically sent kids home. So whatever they learned then gained from that point, I think they're able to use a little bit more going into the, into the summer as they prepare for fall classes. But it seems like the bulk of the parents that, that you hear from want their kids in school. But Matt, that's a good question. I, I do have different perspectives right now. We, we homeschool our girls. So this hasn't changed whatever we do at home at all. But when you ask me as a former teacher and a germaphobe, I certainly can empathize with teachers who aren't comfortable going back. I probably would be in the same boat if, if I were asked to go back to class. So I, I'm hoping schools can come, can come up with a way to allow for choice, not only for students, but for teachers, uh, especially those who, teachers who are at a high risk. Uh, in terms of their age or any health issues they're dealing with. So hopefully that's attainable. It might not be. And currently I work in the administrative office uh, at, at a college. So we were able to transition all of our classes online the middle of March. I mean, it was something in our long-term planning. It was just forced on us right away uh, because of COVID. So I, I totally empathize with people who are concerned. We still don't have this disease solved. I read something earlier this week where it sounds like maybe above age 10, those students have the ability to transmit the disease like an adult, whereas we were thinking maybe all school age kids aren't as good at catching and then transmitting the disease. And so I, I think we're going to have to look at choices and continue to watch what the facts play out and show us. Uh, as we learn more about this disease. But I think choice is going to be key. And hopefully schools have been able to work with what happened in the middle of March, what they've learned, what they've gained. And they do have time to plan. But Jeremy, I appreciate you saying you're going to be clear because there's just not a lot of clarity. I know with with my wife and daughter, they're thinking about volleyball. Right, right. We, we, we have no clue what's going to happen. And that, that season, that practice season, is usually starting in the middle of August. And so... We, st we still don't know. And again, going back to being a germaphobe, my preference is let's not do anything. Why don't we try postponing it to the spring? Let's think creatively, work with other schools. But I, I don't have a say in that right now. So, 
Well, Jeremy, I appreciate another point you made that all these schools and different areas are going to have to be flexible. You know, as soon as you put a plan together, two weeks later, you may very well have to change that plan, go to more at home, more in, in the classroom. So being flexible is going to be really important to all these school districts. That's why I would agree. I think it makes sense to try to allow the individual school districts to do what's best for their community based on the numbers they have and the demographic they serve potentially there's a lot of components to it and giving them the flexibility to do what they feel is best for their constituents i think is the best way to go yeah one of the things that i am trying not to do i'm very careful to to not say uh that i am right on a subject when it comes to returning back to school if you say that you're already you're set up for a fill uh, no matter what, because the minute something changes, people are going to point the finger back at you and say, but you said, and that's where I think a lot of, you know, the, the news and, and even the health uh, officials and some of the things that we have seen, it comes back so quickly and circles around. So, you know, if you can uh, cautiously tread forward, knowing and communicating to your, your constituency that they're very well will be some type of change that will have to happen or modification and you can set them up for that uh, before things get started it's going to be taken and uh, the taste in their mouth is going to go a whole lot better than it did in march i can tell you that yeah it was interesting this year so we've got a mix of daughters that do some do homeschool and and some went to school this past year and one of our daughters, it was very interesting. She was thriving when she went to school. And then when COVID hit, the distance learning kicked in and it was a very noticeable regression. And so the concern I have, I understand the flexibility and the need to change. It's just as parents, we look at it, what's going to provide the best education for our children. I think the unknown makes it very difficult because if we plan for the worst and say, hey, okay, there's going to have to be some distance learning. We weren't happy with that. And that's ultimately why she's not going to go back to that school. And we are going to homeschool her this year and get her a tutor because the distance learning was just not anywhere near the in-person uh, progress that she made. Yeah, I was going to say the trend, the trend for families who want to get, get away from having that wave hit them again is to make the decision now to homeschool. And so we're seeing that in our numbers big time this year. Uh, it, is, it is all over the map, which is concerning, obviously, to uh, private schools because of the funding that comes from tuition dollars is no longer there. And you're seeing, you're seeing that attrition um, really impact what's going to happen this fall. And it, it is painful. But it's also, in some cases, a necessary choice for parents to make. And so I'm trying to also be very gracious and understand, Hey, that if that is what needs to be made in your family and God's called you to that, uh, do it. And we're just going to keep going with what we have and what God has called us to do and support and, and help the families that we, uh, we have left and remaining. And maybe some will join because of this as well. So we'll see what happens. Matt did, uh, did uh, the state announce what they were doing for your, for, for schools there for Ohio? I believe something came on and it's kind of similar to what Jeremy said that each school district will have to come up with plans. So I think they are kind of leaving it up to, 
you know, what's going on at uh, Ohio has done a county by county risk level. And so there's certain parameters that go into place um, when you're at a higher risk level. But I think schools have certain criteria they have to hit regardless. You know, for us, there's an impact now as far as busing and busing credits. Those are no more because they're not going to transport. Uh, kids to other schools, even though we live in the in our city's district, when we should have busing allowance, they said we we can't because we can only have X amount of kids on the bus. We've got to get them to our schools. We can't support the private schools um, around. So that's been a that's been a difficult change. So the school that your daughter went to announced that they were going to do distance learning. They weren't going to bring kids back. They no. They said they were going to do a mix where they would be in like half time, uh, half of the time they would be. Uh, and, and for us, that was probably better than fully full distance learning, but not enough to support the cost of the tuition. Mm-hmm. Okay. So I, I think, I think Ethan, Ethan, you guys are doing something like that too, aren't you? Yeah, <clears throat> we made the choice. Um, our oldest is just going into kindergarten this fall. And we made the choice before COVID to put him in a, in a, um, a homeschool Christian school hybrid, um, where he's going to go to class two days a week, uh, at the school and then three days a week, he'll be home. And so the school and the teacher there manages the curriculum, um, gives us assignments to work with him on, on his three days that he's at home where we're his teacher or my wife will be his teacher. And, um, so we made that decision before COVID in large part, just because of his personality and what we felt was best for him, uh, in terms of just not feeling like it was a good fit for him to go to school five days a week for eight hours a day. He, he just doesn't sit that well and going into kindergarten, we just felt like that was not the best fit. And so, um, we wanted to try and tailor what we did to him. So as of right now, the school that we were going to is still going to continue doing the same type of model. We'll see how that goes. Obviously there's a lot that goes into that as you guys have talked about before, and that could change next week. You know, if, if things uh, go that way with cases and, and all that kind of stuff. So within the state here in North Carolina, there's stuff's all over the map and it's kind of on a, a school district by school district basis um, what they're doing. It's, it's all over the place. The local, the local public school that he would have gone to, um, if we had chosen to send him there is a year round school, which I don't know if any of you have year round schools, um, up there, but we have a lot of year round schools down here. And, um, the, the, all the, all the families in our neighborhood are really frustrated and upset with that because they basically rearranged the schedule. They've totally dynamited the whole schedule and they're putting kids into three groups. And so every kid is going to go to school in uh, face to face one week, and then we'll do two weeks of virtual and they'll just rotate. <clears throat> and so a lot of the families here are just throwing up their hands. Like, what are, what are we supposed to do with that? Um, and that might change, you know, down the road, but a lot of people are frustrated with just the inconsistency of it. And how do you plan for careers and jobs and all that kind of stuff in the midst of it. If you're families that can't afford to have a wife stay home full time. The, the rush for the school districts and, and I I've seen it in the state of Wisconsin, but the state basically rushed when this happened to go make an assessment tool for all schools to be able to use, to be able to assess whether or not they're, 
set up for, you know, whatever type of education that they're going to try to pursue. So you may be set up uh, and be able to, you know, socially distance and have without the groups, you know, have most everybody at school, but some because of their old schools, because of, you know, building capacities and those kind of things, it really pinched them. So I think sometimes you look at the school and go, what's your problem? But it was the assessment tool that was handed to them to, to determine what they could and couldn't do. And so I think there's kind of a mis, you know, misnomer there that it's the school that's actually doing that when actually it very well could have been the assessment tool that caused the school to make that decision. Um, those are some of the things that have, you know, happened around our neck of the woods and are still happening. So that assessment is still not even close to being done with most of the, most of the public schools around here. And they're still fighting hard to figure out what they're going to do. It's going to be a challenge. One interesting facet of this is the legal precedence. I was looking at an article, I think this was out of Florida, where either a teacher or a teacher's union has sued a school district for basically requiring the school to reopen. And the teachers are like, you can't do that. So it will be interesting, especially our society is so predicated on legal precedence and looking, okay, the first case will be kind of chart the course of where we go. It'll be interesting to see what the courts decide and are they going to accelerate the proceedings to get a verdict out or is this going to scale on out? Are teachers going to strike? It's, it's going to be a significant, uh, you know, issue to take a look at from a legal side. Who knows where that's going to go? I don't yeah. know if you guys had heard about that. I did see that headline. I didn't read the article, but I'm just curious with some of you all who have had students in schools, unlike we have, are you, are you very much pro in-person school? Does that outweigh the risk of the virus to you or how are you handling it? Don and Ben, I think you guys have had kids in school that have been pulled out, right? Yeah, we have a preference for our kids to be in school. Um, the school our boys go to, at this point, they are planning to do in-person school. They feel they can keep people spread out and have the safety measures in place uh, to make it successful. Uh, but again, it's kind of subject on what Minnesota Department of Health brings out next week and, and some other things there. I think one thing we found interesting, I saw some information from the childcare centers that have been open throughout the pandemic during the spring and into early summer. And there was a study uh, completed by a Brown University um, economist who surveyed 916 centers uh, that serviced over 20,000 kids and the statistics came back there were uh, just over 1% of staff ended up testing positive and this is since March and 0.16% of children had become infected at the child care center. So, I mean, 20,000 people, one per, you know, so the number, there's still people being infected. It's not like it's a zero risk situation, but the numbers with children are relatively low that if you can follow some safety practice, I think the kids would be for the majority, okay to be back in person. And you're not seeing those high risk kids that are necessarily going to go to those, you know, daycares and, and even public schools, if you will, or any school for that matter. If there is truly a, a high risk kid, 
they're 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 not going to do that at this point. They're not going anywhere. I would hope that would that would be my view as a parent saying, look, you've got some serious autoimmune issues or something like that. You're you're gonna you're gonna stay home. We're we're just gonna you know we're gonna weigh this out and wait it out until we get some clarification. But yeah, Ben, I appreciate that. I read that study as well. Yeah, and our school is doing the same thing. I think they're calling it partial hybrid, where they'll have the virtual will be available all the time for a child that has to go into quarantine or a high risk child like you're talking about, Jeremy. Right. That opportunity will be available throughout the whole school year just because they know at some point they're going to need to potentially go back to it. So they want to have it available and keep it moving through the whole year. At least that's the plan at our school. Yeah, I think with the the lower risk of children, and again, not minimizing any child who has gotten it or uh, passed away, unfortunately, from it. But one of the ideas brought up, too, is what if the kids came to school and you may have may have a young a younger proctor in the classroom, but the teacher taught virtually. Right. So if the teachers are a little bit more older, a little bit more susceptible to that, could they be virtual, but the kids could be in class with, you know, a a grad student or something like that. I I think it's, you know, though it's all been challenging, I think it's pushing our minds to think of things in such different ways that hopefully some good solutions will come out, come out of it. And, you know, ultimately every family is going to have to decide what's best for, for them. But yeah, I think, Definitely some fantastic perspectives within this group, um, but certainly it's a huge topic for families across the nation. So good discussion there, gentlemen. All right, moving on. We've got six in the mix trivia. We are going to move to sports. We've got a sports question. And as always, your name is your buzzer. So if you know the answer to the question, then you will say your name and I will decide who said their name first. This is a question. I have a question. I have a question. Yeah. So question if, before the question. Perfect. If I if I buzz in with Ben's name, does he have to answer? <laughs> <laughs> what I love is the fact that like two or three weeks in, I've got you paranoid about this. That's what that's what that's what makes me the happiest. So so because we do have a topic later in the podcast about baseball returning, this is going to be a baseball question and it's actually a Minnesota twins question. And all six of you will have an opportunity to answer. I would be surprised if anyone knew this, if anyone knows this, uh, I'm going to say hats off to you and you're going to gain my utmost respect, but here's a question against which team did the twins turn two triple plays in one game? Against which team did the Twins turn two triple plays in one game? So you got, what, a 1 in 30 chance or, or so? And I will tell you, this happened in 1990. 1990. So who's going to take the first stab at it? Ronya. Go ahead. Milwaukee Brewers. That is incorrect. Next. Don. Go ahead. Boy, I vaguely remember this. I remember watching it on the news when it after it happened. I'm going to say, what? Ah, I can I can uh, Boston Red Sox. That is correct. Oh, Are you serious? My. That is unbelievable. That is correct. It was the Boston Red Sox in 1990, our worst season before we went to first and won the World Series in 91. It was Boston Red Sox. And what was interesting was we had 
in it was July 17th, 1990, and it, it was a 5-4-3. Both of them were 5-4-3 triple plays. Gary Gaetti to Al Newman to Ken Herbeck <laughs> against the Boston Red Sox. I remember Joe That's Schmidt's uh, coverage of that. Wow. I take uh, I give Joe Schmidt all the credit. <laughs> Channel 5, right? Channel He's 5. Channel, Channel yeah. 5. Yeah. And Joe Schmidt's a classic. That is yeah. remarkable, Don. Uh, two, two points. First of all, I see once again why you were Rookie of the Year. <laughs> and number number two, did I ever tell you my L. Newman story? I was I was walking around the Mall of America one time and I saw L. Newman. It had to be circa 1990, I'm sure. And I said, L. Newman. And he said, don't point that gun at me, man. <laughs> I said, my, my bad, can I get an autograph? So... He gave me an autograph. All right, we've got our uh, we've got our music trivia. This is a uh, part due of the trivia, uh, and so again, as you hear the song being played, again, your name is your buzzer. Are you guys ready? I'm waiting. I've been waiting all week for this. Let's go, man. Here we go. Come on, you should vision yourself right in the sob, Don. <laughs> Schaefer, I kind of slanted this one toward you, bud. Wow. I mean, Jeremy, I slanted this one toward you. Check. I know it, boy. Yeah. Jeremy. Yeah. Steve Chapman, but I do not know the song title. Yeah, 10 more seconds. Ryan. Uh, hold on, hold on. Five more seconds, Jeremy. <laughs> oh, circle, circle two. Circle two. <laughs> <laughs> I've been waiting all week for this. <laughs> you know, oh, that, I haven't heard Anything that Anything to prevent Ryan from getting it. <laughs> so... Schaefer, yeah, you did get the artist right. Steve, Steve and Annie Chapman. The reason I gave Jeremy 10 seconds because I wanted to get to the chorus. Yeah, so right. you get it. I needed to get the uh, title. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that was uh, that was Circle of Two by Steve and Annie Chapman. Does and he get Jeremy, the point? Mentioned... Well, I think Don beat me, actually. Oh, I, 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 wasn't, I wasn't. That doesn't. That doesn't count. I, I, knew, I, was hoping I knew it was Stephen A. Chapman, though. Jeremy, did they sing that at the marriage conference that you can recall? No. Um, uh, they they did sing uh, a, a bunch of great songs, but uh, the one that I remember is the is is called "The Ships Are Burning," and it's it's a it's a tribute to. Uh, when you come uh, to marriage, uh, you you go to your own island, basically, and you you burn the ships because you will never sail away from your spouse. You will never go away from her. So you 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 just burn how you got to this point, and you are now one. And uh, I just remember that song. In fact, I was singing that with my guitar the other night, and my daughter was harmonizing with me because I, I love that song, and I love the analogy of that too. So anyway. Yeah, at, this week I was I was putting their music through my uh, through my ears all week listening to that. <laughs> it was it was a I was hoping trip you'd have down a, memory lane. Up. That's for sure. Yeah, yeah, I think that uh, "Burn the Ships" is uh, I think fifteen nineteen. The Spanish sailor Cortez led his people to the to the New World. Right, uh, so so uh, he got he had a he had a, a fleet of ships, 
and they got to the new world and it wasn't what they thought it was going to be. Right. And so they said, Hey, let's sail back. It's it, not what we said. And he said, guys, we're burning the ships. We're here to stay. And uh, that's inspired, I think, many a song. So yeah. fantastic did, stuff. Did you remember that from history or from Chapman's song? That's brother Stephen Curtis Chapman, man. Right. <laughs> yeah, it's it's fantastic. But yeah, if you read the story, it's uh, it's pretty incredible. So, so you're telling me so. Steve and Andy Chapman have a song called Burn the Ships and Stephen Curtis Chapman has a song called Burn the Ships. I think the ships are burning is the Stephen Andy Chapman song. Oh, the ships are burning. Yes. Okay. I so, think that's, I, I, I can't be quoted on that, but I'm pretty sure. Okay. So, uh, hey, ring to judge. Do I give him the point then or not? You give Jeremy a half point. Jeremy gets a half point for that. Yeah, 0.5. All right, moving on. Guys, we got uh, baseball started back up. I'm not sure if you guys knew that, but... Caught every started game. up here, start up, start up here recently. What, what is that? Ha- what does that meant for you? Just from a yeah, kind of a new reality or coping with reality. Has there been like an emotional uplift? Has it been, that's eh, cool. It's going on. Or has it been really great? Have you been on the edge of your seat? Uh, what are you guys thoughts with baseball returning? Well, I've been, I've been pretty excited with it. Um, having an, I know Friday night came around. I was all pumped up. So, uh, you know, it was great to see, Kepler blast the first pitch of the season oh, over the fence. That was that was just fantastic. Um, it, it was kind of weird um, not seeing any fans um, doing all that kind of stuff. You know that was that was a little different. But they had the little cutouts of people in the stands. That was kind of funny. Um, I heard so one, one of them uh, got hit with a home run baseball. I saw that this morning. Right through the cutout's forehead, just blasted it. Who hit the Who hit the home run? Was that a Minnesota Twin or was no, it? No, I think it was a Dodgers game. I'm trying to remember, okay. Dodgers or or Giants, maybe somebody blew up their cardboard cutout. <laughs> I just enjoy watching some actual highlights on the news. You know, the sports has been absolutely bankrupt when it comes to that segment. They're like, well, we don't know what's going on. And then, you know, the speculation stuff. But now that they can actually show a highlight or two has been great. I, I love it. I don't care what team it is. Even I'm, I'm just soaking it all up. They were interviewed one of the uh, twins pitchers and asked him about, you know, you know, with, is it weird playing without the, without the fans? And he said the night games seemed like a rainout game that had been delayed and they just came back and, you know, kind of had that feel, you know, but the, it was the afternoon games. They just played an afternoon game today and, and also on Saturday. And uh, they, he said it was kind of like um, it was just different. It was it wasn't the same. You, mean, you just couldn't, you know, they generate they pump the noise through of, of the white noise of the fans and stuff like that. It's just not the same. I would think the smells wouldn't be the same either. You know, there's no like, what is a going to the ballpark, right? It's the noise, it's the smells, it's the tastes, it's the it's the interactions, it's the buzz. You can't artificially, you know, push that through speakers. I think that that for me that was it was great to see for me. But it, it almost felt it was weird. It almost felt apocalyptic every time they showed the stands, yeah. just empty. You know, you just you know, felt like this is I'm glad it's happening, but it does. Is it really happening? You know, is it you know, I don't know. It's it was like a, it was like almost there, but not quite there. Yeah. And I think the postseason is going to be so weird, you know, without without screaming fans, just that atmosphere. And 
it's just going to be, that's going to, I think that's where people are really going to notice it. Ethan, what about you? I, I, if you're a Houston Astros fan or a Houston Astros player, you're just living the dream right now. Let's be honest. You're just living the dream, excited as all get out, but you're not being subjected to what you are going to get subjected to this whole season. And, you know, all those Astros players are just fingers crossed behind their back, hoping that people forget before. But next do you think they will? Back in the ballpark. There's no way. I, I don't think people will forget, but I think time and the, the reality, the, the significance of what we're going through with the pandemic, I think it'll soften what they experience. Whenever fans do get back in the ballpark, I think it'll be softer than it would have been this. Fall, I suppose uh, without question. I can't wait for the first road team or the first, I guess they'd be the first home team that ha- that hosts the Astros to put booing through the speakers. Oh man. Just for every batter coming up. Like what would it actually be like? Oh, boo the heck out of it. <laughs> or somebody just be funny. Beating trash can. Right. Exactly. Don, they got to play the beating trash can sound through the speakers. <laughs> That'd be so funny. Well, that Karma Karma did come back and bite him because I I think I heard Verlander's out for the for out for the season for Houston. Oh wow, that's a big loss. <laughs> Any other yeah, thoughts I, on? Uh, I'm, probably the, I'm probably the only one of the group that really hasn't watched a single pitch of baseball since it's been back. Um, <clears throat> it's it's not been that big of a of a draw for me personally. Um, probably since I left Minnesota, really, um, baseball in the South is not a, it's not that big of a deal unless you live in Atlanta. And so it's just not that significant of a, of a deal. I have, it has been really interesting for me though, just in terms of my, um, love of soccer and, and watching, um, European soccer, a lot of the European soccer leagues started up three or four, maybe five weeks ago. Uh, maybe more than that. The German league started probably eight weeks ago. And they've been doing a lot of the piping in of audio. One of the things that's been really fascinating for me that I heard was a discussion on how much of a, of an influence not having fans in the crowd was on the development of young players. Uh, I think baseball is similar in that fans tend to be really knowledgeable. They tend to be really passionate as they are in soccer and I know in soccer, a lot of times when young players get put into some early games early on in their career, if they have a bad touch, they make a mistake, fans can get on them really quickly. And it can be a really difficult thing to continue to play and not just be nervous of making the next mistake. Um, And so I'm curious what your guys' thoughts are with baseball. Um, I know that um, some of the things that I've been reading have been talking about the number of young players that have been played in professional leagues in Europe right now. Um, in part because they're not worried about the fans getting on them and, and shaking their confidence. Um, so I don't know if that's going to be true in baseball, probably less true um, at this point. Um, but I thought that was a really interesting perspective that they were talking about the difference between f- fans being there and not being there. So Ethan, were they saying that the younger players are going to have an easier time adjusting because they won't have any of that heckling going on? So that they're going to become better sooner. Um, yeah, better sooner, but more just that their transition to becoming a professional player. Cause in Europe, a lot of professional clubs develop players from being kids 
And so sometimes they have kids who are 16, 17, 18 years old, and they become professionals and they start playing in professional games, full professional games as teenagers. Um, and so sometimes, you know, the thought of stepping onto a field with 60, 70, 80,000 fans um, who <clears throat> are knowledgeable and passionate um, and the thought of making a mistake, especially towards the end of a season where mistakes and um, losses are amplified, uh, just puts a lot of extra pressure on, on players. And so they're less, I think the thought was they're less willing to take risks. They're less willing to, to um, overcome chances and so, or, or take mist- uh, overcome mistakes. And so I think some of the thought that I've seen and heard uh, even is just young players having a little bit more freedom to, to get up to speed um, with the, the demands of playing at a professional level in a way that maybe they didn't have as much grace before. And I could see that. I can see that that's a, a bigger, has a bigger impact on namely European soccer players, just because if they make a mistake, they worry possibly about losing their life the next day. <laughs> you know, I mean, it's so, it's so hardcore over there, but you know, and where is in the States, it's a little different, you know, I, I don't know if that has anything to do with it, but I think, yeah, European soccer players. Baseball is a little bit unique too. And that, you know, by the time a player gets to the major leagues, they've been through, you know, three, four, five years in the minor leagues. Uh, by the time they get to the major leagues, they're, 23, 24, 25, often cases, um, older, they're not 16, 17 and still a teenager. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think that that might have something to do with it too. Mm-hmm. I wonder from a flip side, considering, you know, some of the, some of the people playing sports are like straight ballers and they feed off the crowd. So I wonder if it's harder for them to get up for it because, you know, they, they, they need that reaction from the crowd or it brings another gear in them. Yeah. When they, oh, when yeah. they, when they hear the crowd behind them, I, you know, I, if you're a baller, you're a baller, but when you got people in front of you, right. I mean, we played in front of gyms or in arenas when there wasn't that many people there, it was a little bit harder to get up and, and get playing. When you had a, a packed crowd that was into it, man, th- there was just a juice and an energy that kind of drove you to find that next gear and play at a level that you had, you would not be able to play at if you were just getting up for Saturday morning. I just have, I just have this memory of Ben in the corner uh, when we were playing college, he got, he got, we, we passed around the, uh, around the horn. He got, he was deep in the corner, falling out, throws his lefty, beautiful, you know, splashes it right in this guy's face. The gym was packed and he's just like, you know, I mean, the eyes of like the tiger and mm-hmm. everybody just goes nuts. You know, the other coaches calling timeout and we're all just, you know, hitting each other and just, oh, it was, yeah. you know, that is missing. I was listening to an interview of an NBA player uh, with the games that they've been playing basically in an empty stadium. And they're like. It is so weird. <laughs> it's so weird. And I think you're going to get a lot more interaction of the players because you can hear everything. That's what the guy said. You can hear everything. You can hear everything the other coach is saying. You can hear everything you're saying. I mean, it's just, you know, there. So I think it's going to add to the uh, perhaps even the you know connection between the teams. And it's going to cause some, you know, maybe some even more friction. So we'll see what happens. It's funny you say that, Jay, because I was... I was going the the other way because I'm thinking of myself. I was probably the greatest pickup ball player of all time. (laughs) (laughs) 
I believe it. Put <laughs> <laughs> me in a crowd in front of a crowd. I, you know, I'm, I was a mental basket case. I don't know, you know, but I, 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 I'm thinking, man, if I could go back to my college years and play during COVID, man, alive, I've been, I've been the real deal, man. I'm just COVID, saying. you were 20 years too late. Exactly. Oh, yeah, it came too. Uh, man. Oh, oh, well, <laughs> fraught with interesting perspectives. That's what we are. That's for sure. But I think all in all, everybody's grateful to have some uh, professional sports starting back up and, and getting into it. It's, it has been great. And uh, go Minnesota Twins for sure. All right. Going to turn it over to Ben for the uh, good news of the week. <laughs> All right, I've got a good one for you this week, at least a feel-good story that I read through, and it may be even a little hard to believe, but in the Kansas City area, there was a single mom down on her luck. She was down to just a few dollars left, went into a grocery store, um, bought a $1 lottery ticket that won $100. Now, for a person who doesn't have a lot of money in their pocket, that's a great thing. Just, you know, put the 100 bucks in and then you're on your way. But she was a philanthropic sort and she actually donated that money to a police officer who had been wounded in the line of duty just felt like that family needed it even more than she did uh although she was you know in a bad situation financially tried to do so anonymously but the police officer and that precinct found out who had donated to her started a campaign and they actually ended up raising $145,000 for that family. So wow. a single mom oh, and her family were given a big gift and you know not every philanthropic story comes around like that where the you get paid back, you know, 145 times what you started by paying but um just a really kind of a cool story made me feel good when I read through it that even though, you know, we think about sometimes we feel like our dollars stretched thin, we're still able to find a way to maybe give to another person and, and how that can come back to us. Uh, not always financially, obviously, but just the, the good nature of it to, to give to others when you see a, a person in need and, and how that comes around. Uh, that's fantastic. It's yeah, just the, the power of positivity spreading, you know, paying it forward. You just never know, right? That's why you, you choose to respond with kindness and, and love. That's fantastic. So are you promoting playing the lottery, Ben? Is that what you're telling us? That should, that should lead to... Well, as long as you're willing to give at least a portion of that winning away, then you're okay. I like does, it. That, does that make sense? I like it. Ryan, I, I detect a, a topic for a future podcast playing the lottery gambling casino that'd be that'd be fantastic but no what a great story yeah i, I was gonna say i do have a lottery experience i'd like to share is that okay <laughs> yeah by all means <laughs> so probably like most of us we grew up in homes where we weren't really encouraged to play the lottery maybe our parents didn't play the lottery and i was about 18 19 years old so 25 years ago probably from this year, I was working overnights at a restaurant. So I was the graveyard shift cook. And one, there were three of us basically there the whole night. So it was the waitress, it was the janitor, and it was me. And then the baker would come in at about 2 a.m. Well, anyway, with that background, the janitor for my birthday that summer gave me 
as a gift lottery tickets. I'm like, oh, interesting. So sure enough, I scratched off one of them. He gave me about $5 worth and I won $5. Now it's like, well, what do, what do I do? Do I just take the five or do I reinvest in more lottery tickets? So I said, you know, I, I think I'm feeling good about this. I'm, I'm one for one success rate. So I reinvested, got some more lottery tickets and it didn't go as well. I think I came away with a dollar. I'm like, oh boy, I'm, I'm losing money. And this happened a couple more times. So about my, the fourth time I went into, I, it's that whole moral issue. Do I keep the money or do I gamble it away? So the last time I went in, I said, this is it. If I, I, I've got to stop at this point because I'm out of money. I went in and I got a $30 winner. And so all of that to say, my lottery history has been pretty successful. <laughs> <laughs> to God be the glory. <laughs> yeah. Did you tie it? Did you tie oh, that it was my question. I think so. I think so. He said so. <laughs> oh, Kids, man. take this as a lesson. I have a question of clarification for Ron. The, the, the point of clarification on this is you were a cook at a restaurant. What was Correct. on the menu? <laughs> successfully cooked. You name it. No, <laughs> you name it. And cold cereal, brownies, and popcorn. Well, I'm pretty sure after being your roommate for two and a half years, that those are the three things that are high on your list of cooking abilities. <laughs> that is true. I, I will admit, I did forget how to cook by the time we were roommates. What was the franchise? Can you get the franchise of this uh, establishment? Sure, uh, Perkins Family Restaurant. Perkins. Wow. So you had to you had to you had to make scrambled eggs, yeah. pancakes. Yep, yep. And I was I was I was entrusted with the overnight shift. Believe it or not, they would leave me all alone. I know that's unfathomable, especially for Ethan to consider at this point. But it's, I was just telling Olivia, uh, my daughter, this yesterday. I, I was telling we were driving back some from somewhere, and I, I was recounting the days. Twenty five years ago, I was working overnights, and I was still young enough and eligible to play high school Legion baseball. Which for most kids in my class, they were done the year before. But because I was young for my class, it was a great summer. So I'd come home after work six thirty, sleep till three, and then get ready for a game every few days. So that was that was a dream summer. And, and by the way, they let me eat whatever I wanted to because I wasn't given a break as the only employee. And I didn't I didn't really take advantage of the situation. I just ate cookies and you know chicken tenders, shocker, cheese sticks. Yeah, it was great. They had enough downtime to play the lottery, so <laughs> fantastic. No, listen, the lottery, you don't want to do it. I, 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 I still kind of kick myself today. Was that the right thing to do? I probably should have done what that lady Ben talked about. I should have done what she did with it, but it's, it's, it, I didn't know what to do. It's something I hadn't been trained on in my, in my life. So, yeah, you retired. It all snuck up on you. All righty. So, moving on, we're, so, Ryan, why don't you take it away? We are moving on to calling your shot. So, calling your shot this week, we're going to, we're actually 100 days out from the big day. The day I think that is influencing school decisions, it's influencing state shutdown decisions, but we're talking about election 2020. 100 days from now, it is Donald J. Trump against Joe Biden. And so what I want to do is, is get everybody on record here 
and ask the question. Now, it's a yes or no question. I'll record your votes. I know you want extra security on these answers I'm jotting down. We'll work on that. But if you want to give a little background why, but the, the key is yes or no. The question is, will Donald Trump be elected in 2020? And I'll just I'll just start on my top left of my screen here with Jeremy. Simple answer. Yes, I believe so. OK, moving across, Don, I got you next. I'm going to say I'm going to quantify this answer by saying, no, he will not be reelected. But yes, he will have the votes to win. I think there is. I think there is something very sketchy going on and there is no way he gets back into office and there are powers that be that will not allow it to happen. Wow. I, I don't, uh, that's a, that's a fair response. I don't know how to record that though. So I'm going to say no. No. Okay. All right. Gotcha. All right, Ben, you're next. I don't even, I don't like this question. I don't, I need, I need different candidates. I need a whole different system. I just, can we just burn it all to the ground? We talked about burning ships earlier. Can we burn it down and start over with the whole system? And after that question, my answer is going to be, no, he will not win the election. Fair, fair, fair point. Matt, you're next on my screen. Yes, providing they debate at least three times, there is zero chance that a country with a pulse can elect Joe Biden. I I just don't I just don't see it. Um, I, it, it it would be in a, in an age where there's so many indicators of society going downhill. Uh, that would be a large one. Um, that'd be a large one if they can, if that's their best candidate. Um, I just, I just don't see it. And again, you, you take, you take a look at it. Like it's, it, it's interesting compared to baseball, right. Or any sports that for that matter, right. Three months away from playoffs. What do we think? Who's going to win? It's almost always drastically different as things go along. I think there's so much time and so much stuff can happen that uh, I, I don't, I'm not, you know, I'm not putting my house up on it, but I, I feel confident that if, if people will at least listen to what is said by both candidates, it's going to be hard to, it's going to be hard to vote for Joe and sleep at night. Yeah, that's, that's fair. I, I think what you said, a country that has a pulse, uh, you could you could argue, do we still have a pulse? And maybe that's why a lot of things are trying to be shut down. So acting like we really don't have a pulse. I don't know. All right, Ethan, what do you got? Uh, I, I feel pretty strong that it's probably a no. I, I don't think it's likely. Yeah, uh, I, too, am going to say no, though. I will say this past week, I think the portrayal of him has been one of his best weeks he's had in a while. So if, if he continues this way, maybe there's there's a chance he does. But uh, I, I just think this coronavirus will get hung around his neck too tightly. And that's on top of all the forces that are against him. So I'm going to say no as well. Two yeses, four no's. Wow. I'll take an Arby's. I will take a <laughs> one of that, one of that <laughs> extra large value meal, a couple of the appetizers and a couple of shakes. He just uh, walks in and says, I'll have the menu. What? You're not serving elk steak here this year. <laughs> All righty. All righty. We're going to, uh, we're going to close it out uh, with a, 
uh, devotional, the Fix Our Eyes section from Ben. So James 119 says, my dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. Or a version I like maybe even a little more is from the message. It says, lead with your ears, follow with your tongue, and let anger straggle along in the rear. I, I like that verse. I think it has a really applicable message to us at this point in time in history where we're so quick to want to get our opinions out there and we get passionate about it and we just don't take time to listen and try to understand what other people are saying. And I think that, you know, right out of James, uh, the New Testament there, that it's something we need to do. It also says in Proverbs 12, 18, that the words of the reckless pierce like swords, but the tongue of the wise brings healing. And I think it's a good challenge for all of us. We want to be people. We want to be men. We want to be individuals who help people heal, help uh, build each other up, bring each other together. And we can do that with our tongue, with the words that we say, and uh, as opposed to being reckless and tearing people down and, and pushing our agenda, we need to be willing to listen, need to help people heal, need to use our words for the betterment of, uh, betterment of others. Good word, Ben. Thank you for sharing that. Very appropriate at uh, this at any time of life, but certainly with everything going on, easy to get upset and uh, allow the tongue to get after things in a wrong way. So good stuff. All right. That's episode number four, six in the mix. Thanks, gentlemen. We'll look forward to uh, getting together again next week.